Mark chapter 14. I will be reading verses 12 through 21. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now one of the most difficult doctrines for Christians to understand and accept is the doctrine of the sovereignty of God and how God has decreed all things that come to pass. And in connection with this doctrine is the doctrine of election or predestination, which teaches that God, before the foundation of the world, chose some to be saved. Because relying on our own logic and reasoning, when we hear of this doctrine, we falsely believe or falsely conclude that since God is sovereign, then our choices no longer matter. Or that we are just robots and we no longer have free will. And if God is sovereign, then evildoers didn't have a choice but to do evil. So God has no grounds to judge evildoers. But that is far from the teaching of the scriptures. The problem with this kind of reasoning is that the end result would be to make God in our own image as a man. It would be to say that God thinks like us, makes choices like us, and governs like us. So if God is sovereign over all things, all choices made in history, and that he predetermined everything, then in some way he is unjust because he ordained evil and he chose to save only some. Why couldn't he just save everybody? Now, to disprove this notion, the famous text that we often refer to is found in Romans chapter 9. Now, Romans chapter 9 is not just speaking of the election of Israel, as some have taught, because later he would say in Ephesians that he chose us, both Jew and Gentile, in Christ before the foundation of the world. Paul says in regard to God being sovereign over the affairs of man, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? 
By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. At first, many hear that and say, Wow, that sounds mean. But they miss the good news. Because it says right after that, So then it depends, not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. God is sovereign, God is just, and God is merciful. Listen to what else he says. You will say to me then, sounds like the modern man, If he is sovereign and chooses some, why does he still find fault? If he is sovereign, how can he still blame us? For who can resist his will? This is like a child who talks back to their parents. I don't know how you were raised, but if I talk back to my parents, they give me this look. Well, who do you think you are? And this is what God says. But God responds to man, who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Isn't that what he did with Judas? And what would Judas's one act of betrayal lead to? Mercy and forgiveness for sinners, which also displays God's power. Now this is indeed a mystery and a hard pill to swallow. But this we know that God has sovereignly consigned all to disobedience, both Jew and Gentile, that he may have mercy on all. He is still a merciful God. He would have been a merciful God even if he allowed Adam and Eve to live for one second after they took of the forbidden fruit and ate it. And he would be a merciful God even if he elected only one to be saved. But instead, the truth is, he has chosen a multitude. As Revelation says, myriads of myriads. Do you know what a myriad is? Well, it could mean 10,000. But due to its repetition, myriads of myriads, it means a countless amount, a sea of people. Number the stars of the sky if you can, as he promised Abraham. He has chosen a countless amount to be saved and to sing his praises. And he would use this one act of betrayal to accomplish his will. So we find ourselves on the first day of unleavened bread at the Passover dinner that has been prepared in the upper room, hidden from those who seek to bring Jesus in. And it was evening. Remember, their days begin at sunset, not at midnight. And it is believed to have taken place in Mark's house. Mark was believed to be rich, so this would explain why he was addressed as the master of the house. 
So at this point, they were probably halfway through the Passover rituals when Jesus revealed how he will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes to be killed. This is the first time that he reveals to them that he will be delivered over through betrayal. A betrayal by a close friend and disciple. No one would have imagined this to occur. It is the most heinous version of betrayal, much like when Brutus and Cassius betrayed Julius Caesar. But this is far worse because Judas betrays the king of all creation, the Lord of glory, who is also the friend of sinners. Jesus tells his friends, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. Now the question that comes to our mind often is why? Why did Jesus choose twelve disciples knowing that one would betray him? We could ask the same question about us. We could ask the same question, why did God choose Israel? Or any of his people throughout the generations who have constantly betrayed him? What about the disciples who decided to flee later on when Jesus was arrested? They weren't all that righteous themselves. So we must conclude that it was all part of the plan. It was part of the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And we know it is part of the plan because it was prophecy. Prophecy proves that God knows and plans all things that come to pass. And all that is written in scripture has already happened or will happen in the future. If it is written in the Bible, it means that God says it's going to happen, so it is going to happen. It is fundamental for the Christian to believe this and to trust in God's word. So at the time of this Passover meal, the cross is still in the future and Jesus affirms that God is sovereign and what God has said in the scriptures will come to pass, as he says, for the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. What's written of him? Well, he is referring to the many prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah. But the prophecy that is at the forefront of his mind would be Psalm 41.9, where it describes who will betray him. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. Think of the suffering servant of Isaiah, who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and he was pierced for our transgressions. This is what was ahead for Jesus, and it was all part of God's sovereign plan. But out of darkness, there shines a light. Think of the story of Joseph and how he was betrayed, but by the end of it all, he told his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, for it brought salvation to the people of Egypt. God used an act that was so evil to bring about the salvation of his people. There was gospel, good news on the other side of this betrayal. 
And God chose Jesus. Yes, Jesus is also considered to be chosen and elect of God. He was chosen and elected to go through the suffering and the pain of the cross, then rise from the dead for God's elect. See, God's sovereignty and election is not something that should cause us to fear or to despair over, but it is meant to encourage us in our faith and to comfort us. Because whatever God has said in the scripture and whatever he has predetermined will come to pass because his promises never fail. His plan for our salvation was definite and it happened. It was definite that Jesus went to the cross so all the souls that he died for will definitely be saved one day. Our salvation is secure because of the character of God and the fact that he is all-knowing and all-powerful. And so to accomplish our redemption, God decided that Jesus would be betrayed and die for us to redeem us before the creation of the world. Imagine that. What love God has for his people. Then he had his prophets write it down so that the saints of old would look forward to it. And so that the saints of today would look back and remember it. Remember, beloved, what God has promised, he will fulfill. What God has promised, what has been written, Jesus would be the one to accomplish it. And remember, he will fulfill it in your lives. Your salvation is secure. So does this mean that unbelievers and evildoers get a pass? What was to become of Judas? If this was part of God's plan written and revealed in the scriptures, will Judas be excused and will he not be held accountable? Well, no. Although it is part of God's plan, that doesn't mean that Judas was excused from taking responsibility for his actions. Now, this is something we will never understand. God is sovereign over all things and all matters of life, but we are still responsible for our actions and our choices. God's sovereignty and human responsibility both exist, and they are both taught in the scriptures, but we will never understand how they coexist. We will never understand how they coexist. As I've quoted this scripture many times before, but it is worth repeating. The secret things belongs to the Lord our God, such as election, his sovereignty, predestination. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. That is human responsibility. See, there are two wills that we are speaking of here. God's secret will, where he decreed all things that come to pass, and God's revealed will, where he tells us what we are responsible for. God has decreed that Judas would betray Jesus, but that doesn't take away from the fact that Judas committed a heinous sin. And at the same time, Jesus demonstrated how he was in total control. Jesus would later tell Judas when it was the right time. According to John, when Judas was looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus, Jesus told him, what you are going to do, 
do quickly. Jesus even told him when to do it. But Jesus will still hold him accountable when he said, But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now the fact that Jesus said this is hard to accept. Especially since Christians rightly believe that from the moment of conception, life is precious. But Jesus says, it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Why? Because it is better to have never been born than to face God's wrath and judgment. What Judas will face in God's judgment will be worse than anything you could ever imagine. And it will last longer than this short lifetime. And sadly, this is the fate of all who reject Jesus as their Savior. Remember, he sold an eternity of joy with Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. But in case we begin to think that we are in a better place, we ought to look at ourselves. In Luke 13, Jesus was among some who were so focused on other people's sins, like, what about so-and-so? What about the Galileans? In our case, well, what about Judas and what they did? So he turns to them and says, and I'm paraphrasing, do you think they are worse off than you? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish, just like Judas. See, I say this because many people think that they are okay with Jesus just because they are not like Judas. I've never betrayed anybody. I've been loyal all my life. I've been loyal to my friends, my family, my church, my nation. I'm a man of integrity. Culturally speaking, we look down at Judas with snobbery as if he's going to be the only one in hell. I've said it before, we don't even name our kids Judas. We don't want to be associated with Judas. But the truth is, the heart of Judas exists in every man. So when we read this, we shouldn't be looking down at Judas, but we should be looking at ourselves. Later in Luke 13, they were asking him about numbers. Who will be saved? Will it only be a few? Then he responds in a way to say, why are you so focused on others but not yourself? So he tells the parable about the master who gets up and closes the door on those who were once guests before. He says, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets as if it belonged to them, right? But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. So he is saying that even those who may have been associated with him before may not be associated with him when he returns, like Judas. Mere association with Jesus is not enough. Cultural Christianity is not enough to save anybody. But there must be faith in him. In case you think that Jesus is being cruel here, 
Think of all the opportunities and occasions that Judas had to come to Jesus. He was with him for three years. Three years of fellowship and eating together. Three years of ministry and gospel preaching. Three years of miraculous healing and mercy. Now think of all the opportunities that were given to Israel over the centuries. Think of all the opportunities we have had to come to Jesus. Think of all the preaching from this pulpit. All of the baptisms you've witnessed. All of the prayers. All of the times you participated in the Lord's Supper. See, Christ's presence is here in your midst. Calling you as Jesus calls all of us. Come to me and I will give you rest. But Judas neglected the call and it was his fault. And if we neglect the call, it will be our fault. Because the cross is the only way to escape the judgment that is coming for all of our ungodly decisions. Think of it for a moment before you look down at Judas. Think of our own evil that we will have to give an account for. What do we have to present before God? Can we go to God and say, hey, at least I'm not like Judas? No. All we can say is look to Jesus. He is my Savior and He gained the entrance for me. I have nothing to offer you, O God, but Jesus. And one thing we need to understand is what we'll never understand. We'll never understand how God is sovereign and He elects His people, while at the same time He holds men responsible for the choices they make. God is sovereign. And humans make choices. They are both true and they both exist. And they exist parallel to one another, which means they never cross paths. We will never come to understand how it all works. And if we deny either one of these important doctrines, we would either deny the fact that God is all-powerful or all-knowing and turn Him into a false God, or we would deny the fact that God will hold men accountable for what they have believed and what they have done in unbelief. Jesus gives us a command to come to him. And he says that whoever comes to him shall not hunger and whoever believes shall not thirst. He is saying, make the decision and come. And he says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. But soon after that, he says this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So that when we do come to Jesus, we must confess that it is God working in me and the glory belongs to him, not me. So when we look at our own lives and see all that God has allowed us to go through, know that he planned it all. And it was not for nothing. Everything that has happened in your life or in this world was part of God's plan. You are here because you were put here. You are where you are and the things have happened in your life because God foreordained it all to happen. And it was all for a reason, including evil. God is not surprised by evil in your life. In fact, He uses it for your good to conform you to Christ even if we can't see why or how in the moment. Even if we don't have all of the answers. 
God was not surprised by the evil in the Garden of Eden. God was not surprised by the evil in Judas. Nothing can surprise our God. He ordained it all, and it all has a purpose for His glory and our good, our salvation. What an awesome God we have. He always has the good of His children in mind. And though God is sovereign, we are still called throughout Scripture to do things, right? Think of prayer. We're called to pray knowing that God has all things under His control and everything planned out. He knows what we need before we ask. People tend to say, well, what's the point of prayer then? I would counter that question by asking, what's the point of praying to a God who doesn't have everything under his control and everything planned out. The truth is, every millisecond is governed by God, past, present, and future. In fact, God is timeless. He is present everywhere, at all times, at the same time. Let your head wrap around that one for a second. Every particle or molecule is under his control. God is never unaware of anything that exists because he created it all. But that never takes away human responsibility. It didn't take away Judas's responsibility and how he will have to give an answer to God one day in judgment. Listen to how our confession of faith relates the two. God's sovereignty and his eternal decree and our responsibility to make choices. It says God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so, as thereby neither is God the author of sin, he cannot be blamed for sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures meaning we still make choices. Nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. Now, what does that mean? Traditionally, we understand that the first cause is God, as He created and controls all things. And a second cause is another way of referring to human choices and decisions that lead to consequences. Everything we do sets the ball in motion for other things to occur. So God's sovereignty doesn't take away human choices and consequences, but rather it establishes human choices and consequences. How? I have no idea. And I'm not going to take the time to explain it. But we know it's true. The classic example comes from Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. They are both true. God is not taking the blame for killing Jesus, yet it was all part of his plan. I quoted this before, but it bears repeating. R.C. Sproul said this, God's sovereignty makes me responsible for everything I do. And this text shows us 
that Judas will be held accountable for his decisions. Now that should cause us to pause. It may alarm many of us as we think of all of our sins that we have committed against God. All of the sinful decisions we have made, maybe even just this morning. And how we will be held accountable for each and every one of them. Every thought, every word, and every action will be judged according to the true standards of His law. But remember the whole story here. Remember, there is an escape. In fact, there is a scapegoat who will remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. The light of Christ shines through our darkness, misery, and sin. When the law comes down on you to convict you, remember that this one act of betrayal will lead to, it will lead Christ to the cross where he will die for your betrayal and sin. And Jesus freely chose to take this up. Out of his own free will, he chose to take this mission up. He chose to die on our behalf so that we wouldn't be condemned for all of our sinful decisions that we have made. See, the woe or the curse on Judas was not only for betraying Jesus, but it was for the ultimate rejection of Jesus. Remember, Judas was an unbeliever. Even after he betrayed Jesus, he went his own way and never turned back to Jesus for forgiveness. You think this betrayal couldn't be forgiven? All sins are forgiven except for the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is in summary rejecting Jesus Christ and his work. Yes, we can say it was because he wasn't elect, but also we can say it's because he didn't choose Jesus. He never trusted in Jesus. He never sought forgiveness in Jesus. Many Christians are in despair, nail-biting, looking for evidence whether or not they are elect. Folks, the evidence that you are elect is the fact that you come to Jesus by faith. When you see sin in your life and the lack of fruit thereof, you keep coming to Jesus by faith and repentance. Beloved, my prayer for you is that you would find comfort in the fact that if you are trusting in Jesus, relying on Jesus alone, then you can be assured of your entrance into glory and that because of Jesus, you will never fall away the way Judas falls away. That you are indeed secure in Jesus. Because your entrance does not depend on your exertion or your will but on the will and mercy of God. Because God is not like man. If he said it, he will do it. He will do it. He is not a deceiver. He will keep his word to you. That's why it is so secure. It is based on his character, not yours. And for those who have not come to Jesus, heed the call. Don't wait and try to figure out whether or not you are elect. Don't wait for evidence or preparations to come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus and find your ultimate rest in Him.
Amen.